Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. You know how some people know what they want to be when they grow up from a very young age? Jocelyn Smith was one of those people. When she was a kid, her grandfather took her into the woods of Vermont. They were hoping to see a moose. They didn't. But Jocelyn did see something else that day, a chocolate brown sign painted with a bright white arrow. So it kind of just became this spark in my mind at a really young age. And I always said, I never want to go to college. I just I just have this dream of hiking the Appalachian Trail. And it always seemed like it would never happen. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of did one day. <laughs> Lemon and I waited a long time to be on this ridge. Since Georgia. Since Georgia, you know. I'm talking about it. Here we are. Woohoo! This is where we came from. The Appalachian Trail spans roughly 2,190 miles from northern Georgia to central Maine. If you add up all the elevation gained from end to end, we're talking somewhere around half a million feet, more than 15 times the height of Mount Everest. It takes as long as half a year to hike the whole thing end to end. People sometimes quit their jobs or break up relationships just to do it. Jocelyn took the plunge in March 2021 and documented her journey in real time on social media. It's going to be a beautiful day. We're all feeling brave. There were setbacks, high winds, thigh-deep mud bogs. That's about half a trek and pull, and I could keep going, but I'm scared. But also, new friends. We got ice for mangoes. I'm on And with fewer than 100 miles to go, this linear trip took her full circle. When Jocelyn finally got to see a moose. There's a moose and it's coming for us. Well... <laughs> my grandfather's gonna love this. This is gonna blow his mind. It took her seven months. That's something like 2% of her entire life up until now spent hiking. On October 6th, 2021, she summited the last peak of the trail, Mount Katahdin. 
A video of her last few steps got more than 800 likes on Instagram. Go! You made it! Holy sh! Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, right. You're a through hiker. That's it. Over 2,000 miles condensed into 12 seconds of social media glory. Dream achieved. Like, I climbed another mountain, and I touched this sign, and I took a few pictures, and I don't know, I, I wanted more. I wanted to feel more, and I didn't. It was very strange. It's hard not to be a little envious looking at Jocelyn's Instagram feed, all those beautiful sunrise peaks and hard-earned miles. But for the thousands of people who through-hike the world's longest trails, there's a common experience that doesn't share as nicely. They call it the post-trail blues. I remember thinking to myself, I said I wanted to hike the whole Appalachian Trail my entire life. I didn't care about going to college. I didn't care about any of that. And now I did it. And at that point, I'm like, well, what do I do now? This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Taylor Quimby. Getting out into nature is supposed to be restorative. So why do so many thru-hikers report feeling depressed after they finish? Today on the show, we examine the post-trail blues to better understand how a hike becomes an identity and why some of the biggest achievements of our lives can leave us feeling strangely empty. I just feel like I feel like a little shell of a human some days I wake up and I'm like Ugh, like I can't even move or get out of bed <laughs> it's weird yeah I wonder I wonder I met Jocelyn at her parents house in Vermont where she's been living since she finished the trail last October you can occasionally hear her cat Porky purring on her lap in the tape hi kitty <laughs> Jocelyn says her first twinge of the post-trail blues actually started before she finished the trail when she first saw Mount Katahdin looming in the distance. I was like, oh crap, like, that's where I'm going, and like, that's that's the end, that's it. I've talked to a few different thru-hikers now, and all of them have said the same thing. Maybe it's only a couple days, or maybe it's a couple of months, but everybody gets the post-trail blues. It's an open secret among thru-hikers. A joke when you're nearing the end of your journey, and then a quiet specter that haunts you after you've put down your poles and walked off the trail. Jocelyn wasn't too worried about it, though. She said she'd struggled with depression before. I'm like, nothing about getting off the trail could be any worse than that. And then I was like, crap, this is horrible. <laughs> it's really horrible. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, a, it's like just a totally two totally different worlds, you know? Jocelyn says the first few days after she summited Katahdin, she avoided going home. She and her trail buddies went to the main coast, partied, danced, ordered lobster rolls. But the club vibe was weird. The lobster rolls weren't satisfying. It was like they were trying to hang on to an experience that had obviously come to an end. I think I was really just trying to not feel anything, which is why we drank and went to party and whatever. 
And then Jocelyn got dropped off at her parents' house. And those first few days were like stepping off a boat after years at sea. Her bed was too soft. She forgot to feed Porky. She walked around the house at night wearing her headlamp instead of turning on a light. The funniest thing that I can remember happening was I, like, I went to the grocery store or something and I came back at night and I needed to pee. And I was literally maybe 20 feet away from the door. And for some reason, I was like, I'm just going to pee outside. Like, it felt more normal to pee outside than it did in a toilet. And I was like, I'm in my parents' yard taking a piss. I'm like, this is not, this is not okay. Like, this is not what people do. Breaking months-long habits is one thing. But over the next few weeks, Jocelyn's post-trail blues started to manifest in decidedly less quirky ways. My body shut down. It hurt. I had Achilles problems all of a sudden, like pain in my legs that I've never felt before on the entire time I hiked. And all of the luxuries that Jocelyn had pined over when she couldn't have them, greasy burgers, a plate of scrambled eggs, they seemed alien now. My relationship with food got weird on the trail, and then it's continued to be weird since then. Trail food is utilitarian. Nuts and instant coffee, dehydrated carbs. It's all about getting enough fuel to keep your body going. Every so often, hikers have to head into one of the many towns that border the trail to restock their packs. It doubles as an opportunity to stay in a hostel, shower, and rest, and indulge in a banana split or some fries. These meals are supposed to be a reward— now, Jocelyn could eat whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted it. Is it a guilty feeling, part of, partially, of being like, oh, I'm going to get whatever I want, and that shouldn't be the way it is or something? Yeah, I kind of felt like I didn't deserve it. Like, I, I, didn't earn, I didn't earn that chicken parmesan, or I didn't earn the steak in the grocery store that I could buy. And watching, like, seeing people loading their grocery carts with, like, mountains of food, I was like, this is wild. Wild. And then there were the conversations. Friends and acquaintances would want to hear about Jocelyn's journey, but then quickly tire of the details. Trail talk can be boring if you're not into hiking. Bad weather, broken gear, this peak or that valley, it all has a way of blending together. For through hikers, describing the power of these moments, it's like trying to describe a vivid dream that's already slipping away. Jocelyn felt like nobody could understand what she'd been through. I literally had people tell me, like, oh, like, you can't be that different. And I'm like, you don't understand because you weren't there. Now, I've never done any proper backpacking, but I hike a fair amount and I go camping every now and then. So you might think I would understand where Jocelyn's coming from, but I don't. I don't have the first idea of what it's like to go 2,000 miles on a trail. So if we're going to learn why people suffer from post-trail depression, we're going to need to understand what drives them to do it in the first place. Hey there, Taylor. How you doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? This is Shalin Desai. Vice President of Advancement at the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. I've been working there now for two years, but before that, I am what call, is what called a triple crowner. Being a triple crowner means Shalin has hiked three of the longest trails in the United States. 
the AT, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. And I realize I keep emphasizing how wild these distances are, but bear with me. That's over 8,000 miles, approximately one-third the circumference of the Earth. Having, having done the Triple Crown, do you say it that way? I've done the Triple Crown, or I, I have I, yeah, the triple, I, Is the crown a thing you have or it, that you've done? It's funny you ask that. <laughs> they actually have a ceremony where all the people who are completing the Triple Crown get an actual crown. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. But of the three super hikes of the Triple Crown, there are a couple things that make the Appalachian Trail stand out. First of all, it's the oldest one. In 1921, just over 100 years ago, a guy named Benton Mackay first proposed the Appalachian Trail in an essay. And in it, he used this phrase, which I thought was pretty remarkable, which is that the trail is there, or it should be there, because at that time he was just proposing it, to be a solution to the problems of living. Mm. It's a big claim, right? Yeah, like, how big. does a trail solve the problems <laughs> of living? Mackay thought an Appalachian Trail could create jobs, help to conserve forests, and make people healthier. He thought people who were struggling with mental illness or burnout from work, they just needed to get into the woods for a week or two and sort out their priorities. Sounds idealistic? But if you think about it, 1921 is a lot like 2021, right? We were coming off the heels of a major world war. There was, at that time, a flu pandemic. There were immigration rights that were being um, litigated. There were women's rights, especially the right to vote, that was being contested. Um, there were racial issues. You know, the Tulsa riots just happened. Um, does that sound familiar to you? It sounds a lot yeah, like 2021, right? It does. <laughs> it does. In 1948, a poet, musician, and World War II vet named Earl Schaefer became the first person to hike the AT end to end. He did it to, quote, walk off the war. Far yonder lies along and trail. Today, more than 3,000 people join that same club every year. And they do it for very different, but also similar reasons. When I was out on trail, I was back on trail in 2015, I met a lot of people that were coming out of a divorce, a lot of people that were about to go to grad school, a lot of people that were taking sabbatical from work, quite a few people that were out there for what they considered to be grief therapy. Mm. They had lost a loved one and they wanted to walk off the grief or at least confront the grief. And that really is, is kind of consistent throughout time, those personal motivations, seeking that experience seeking that transformation has always been the case. And where the friendly woodlands never fail To wake the old and make new memories Along the long high Appalachian I mean, did you go into it thinking, like, there's something specific that you wanted to get out of it? Yeah, I think um, I think I was wanting to hit the reset button. So when I made the decision to go out there, I didn't, like, feel like I shut a ton of people out of my life. But I expressed to them, I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And if you're not supportive of that, that's not my problem. As someone who played a lot of Nintendo growing up, I can tell you, people don't usually hit the reset button when they're winning the game. At the beginning of the pandemic, 
The dance studio where Jocelyn taught closed down. At her other job as a bartender, she was sequestered behind a plexiglass screen, and then she got fired in December of 2020. Her apartment lease was also about to end, so pretty soon she'd have nowhere to live. Everything in my life came kind of crumbling down. I had no money, I had no jobs, and I was just like, crap, like, what do I do with myself now? Another thing that distinguishes the Appalachian Trail, aside from its age, is just how easy to get to it is. One might like to imagine remote mountain peaks and trails surrounded by vast forests, and sure, there's some of that. But get this. The trail passes just 30 miles north of New York City. Nearly two-thirds of the entire U.S. population can get to a point on the Appalachian Trail within a single day's drive. Two-thirds. Some thru-hikers may be seeking solitude, but they'll spend a lot of time around one another. Most of them start in Georgia around the same time of year. They're all using the same shelters and campsites strategically set up along the way. So if you pass someone at 4 p.m., there's a good chance they'll catch up to your campsite in a couple of hours. You're with people, but you you also feel by yourself because there's no one there that you're actually familiar with, that you know. This is my friend Joseph Robinson. He lived in my mom's basement for a while after he finished his own thru-hike a few years ago. Joseph told me that those first few hundred miles on the trail, those were the hardest for him. I thought about my friends back at home. I thought about my parents. I thought about how my mom thinks I'm probably going to die out here. Like, how my dad's like, what the heck has gotten into him? Like, Like, those things, like, and just being like, man, I really, I miss home. I was listening to Johnny Cash for, like, probably a week and a half straight dude dude you were you were going through the ring of fire that's why dude, your boy was on fire <laughs> hiking through rain with blisters the size of gumballs choking down rehydrated meals that taste like cold oatmeal through hikers relish these stories they share them like veterans of some strange badly planned war i mean i've seen it all like dude i've had people walk up behind me while i've been taking a poop and i didn't even know it <laughs> <laughs> you, and when you look back behind you, they're, they're just going to keep walking. They're just walking right past you. One of the natural consequences of these shared hardships are what thru-hikers call trail families, or tramlies for short. What at first makes you lonely is later what brings you together. And yeah. so all of a sudden, it's just a group of strangers that come together, and we all just like start talking about family, friends, what we would be doing, things like that. Like, And then that's where the emotions really create the cement in that troll family. All of this, I think, is key to understanding why thru-hikers might feel depressed after they finish. From day one, they begin forming their own mobile communities along the trail. And with those communities come new alter egos. You can reinvent yourself. People don't judge you by your job or your income. They judge you by your attitude, by your ability to laugh through pain, to sing in the rain. Through hikers often hike side by side for hundreds of miles without ever learning each other's real names. They go by trail names that they receive from fellow hikers on the AT. Really wacky stuff. Sliced Beats, Mouse King, Chilly Willy, or Lost and Found. Joseph's trail name is General Hendrix. Hendrix because, well... Hendrix. I used to go around singing it on trail. I used to sing all the lyrics and everything. And General 
because Joseph has the uncanny ability to start a campfire with military efficiency. A friend that I hiked with a couple times back home, he like just threw the name General at me. He thought it was fitting. He was also on mushrooms too. So I don't know, there's a lot of things that came into play. Jocelyn got her trail name because of something that was always dangling from her pack. And fair warning, this trail name is NSFPR. Not suitable for public radio. Like I said, I'm a dance teacher, so in my dance classes we would use a massage like foam roller. And I brought one on the trail with me, and it it's a double ball foam roller. And at Neil's Gap, which is literally mile like 30-something on the trail, I had hiked 18 miles stupidly, and we got to our campsite for the night, and there was just a ton of people there. We all kind of awkwardly made a fire. Nobody knew each other, so we're like, oh, like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and people are like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's my balls, and it turned into this funny joke of the night, and everyone's like, oh, like, I want to touch your balls. Can I use your balls? Like, She kept the foam roller in a sack, a ball sack. People kept asking about it, and thus her trail name became ball sack. It became kind of a weird, awkward challenge to get over at some point, like the sweet church ladies doing trail magic, asking everyone their trail names, and I've got to look them in the eye and be like, hi, my name's Ballsack, and I'm a six-foot-tall woman, and here I am. (laughs) But here's the thing about a mobile community. They're together for the journey until the trail ends, and then everybody goes back to wherever they came from. Who you are, or who the people around you think you are, changes overnight, like a dream. What does any of this mean now? What was the point of this adventure and this trip and this journey? Felt very, very much like a loss. It still feels that way. Before the hike, Jocelyn had lost her jobs, her apartment. The trail was a form of escape, but really it was more like a delay of game. She'd made seven months of forward progress, but she was measuring success in miles instead of dollars or any other kind of off-trail milestones, like dating. Afterwards, it was like she had woken up from a dream that had seemed to go on forever. And there she was, living with her parents, single, looking for a job. So what if the way we've been thinking about the post-trail blues isn't quite right? It occurred to me that nothing people were describing actually sounded like depression. What if it's more like a type of heartbreak? Grief deserves to be attended to. That's coming up after a break. Outside In is a listener-supported podcast. If the show means something to you, if this kind of story is the kind of story you want to hear more of, you can donate at outsideinradio.org. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? A picture-perfect beach day in Cozumel or a tropical adventure to Mayan ruins with snorkel excursion for good measure. A delectable surf and turf at sea topped off with craft cocktails at Alchemy Bar. Now, get some Z's. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Why? Because no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. 
No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Welcome back to Outside In. Today we are exploring what long-distance hikers often refer to as the post-trail blues. Did I did I catch you by surprise? No, no, I was planning on it. I um, did something to my ankle yesterday. It's like maybe broken, so I'm just moving a little slow. So no. No, you didn't catch me by surprise. Dr. Ann Baker is a postdoctoral researcher and therapist. Anne's trail name is Scrappy. And really, she is. In 2018, she was hiking several hundred miles of the Pacific Crest Trail when her lower leg started to act up. She pushed through the pain for a while, but eventually got off to see a doctor. Turns out she had been hiking on a broken tibia. And it, yeah, it was just sort of a lost goal and a rough time all around. And on top of that, having a broken leg is uncomfortable. Having had to end a long hike because of injury... And then, having finished the Pacific Crest Trail the year later, Dr. Baker has experienced firsthand the sting of the post-trail blues. But having trained as a therapist, she was never quite convinced that depression was the right word for what she was experiencing. Loss is actually the word that kept coming to me. Like, it was a loss. And what other people were talking about was also a loss. And I kind of just had this little inkling of, like, I think this is maybe closer to grief than depression. In her spare moments, Dr. Baker also writes occasional articles and gear reviews for a hiking website called The Trek. So she asked if they would be interested in a piece on the post-trail blues. Dr. Baker conducted 30 hours of interviews with 20 long-distance hikers, hoping to identify common themes in their experiences. She cautions, this work was not nearly as rigorous as it would need to be to be peer-reviewed and published. But what she came up with were five principles— Five virtues of the trail that hikers often talked about when describing what they missed most. Coincidentally, when lined up for their first letter, those five principles spell a word. Space. Uh, what is it with acronyms? Why do, we... <laughs> Why do academics want to do that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it makes it a little bit more tangible. So let's begin with S. The letter S stands for simplicity. No more distractions. Here again is Shawan Desai, VP of Advancement at the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Imagine that you wake up with the sun and you go to bed with sunset. People actually used the word simplicity. That was a really easy one because it just kept coming up. Simple simplicity. Letter P? That stands for purpose. Imagine that the only thing that you have to be concerned about every day is putting one foot in front of the other. Move forward. Do not back down. Get to the other side. Next up, the letter A. Adventure. Imagine that your entire sensory surroundings are completely changed. 
Dr. Baker says this one could also be called adversity. We're just like cold and rainy and we were hungry and we were ready to be done. And it was awful. And it was so much fun. Then comes the letter, and this is a big one, C for community. Imagine that you were surrounded by people who are exactly in the same position that you are, going on the same journey. And community isn't just your fellow hikers. It's also the networks of people who offer their homes and barns and beds, a hot meal, or a word of encouragement. Through hikers discover on the trail, people are rooting for them. It sort of opens a window into, like, what it would be like to live in a truly compassionate world. And finally, E, extreme exercise. You are literally exercising all day, every day, for months. That releases endorphins. Here's General Hendricks. Physically, I felt good. Mentally, I felt sound. So... Space. The real kicker of it turned out to not be space. It turned out to be the person you are in that space. That is a very simple, simple lifestyle. And then imagine all of a sudden it stops after a couple of months. Fundamentally, what those post-trail blues are, are withdrawal. In her article, Dr. Baker theorized that post-trail grief boils down to a reluctance to give up your trail self. And I had a conversation with this one hiker who was like, I like trail me. I don't want to go back and be real me. But in all of Anne's interviews, she would ask through hikers, is there a reason you can't be your trail self in the real world? And every single one said, I don't know. It's like something Jocelyn Smith said at the beginning of the episode. It's a lot. It's, a, it's like just totally, two totally different worlds, you know. But Dr. Baker slash Grappy may have a unique perspective on post-trail grief. Do you feel like you can be your trail self in the real world? I do. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, obviously there are degrees. You know, I find myself like last week at a conference at Harvard. No, not really. (laughs) I'm a pretty like, uh, rigid, like controlled version of myself. That's like, mm, need, need to be in high control, but there's, I feel like there's always sort of an underlying sense of authenticity, um, that I have worked really hard for. I've done a lot of my own therapy and, um, and, you know, created a really intentional way of life that does sort of is sort of modeled around space. Yeah, I do. I feel like for the most part, I am both Scrappy and Anne in my daily life. Whatever you want to call it, I'm struck that the post-trail experience is both incredibly specific and at the same time applies to so many other aspects of our lives. Swimmer Michael Phelps says he fell into a state of major depression after each and every time he came home from the Olympics. Olympic athletes have a straightforward purpose, adventure and adversity, a community of trainers and coaches and teammates, and an absolute deluge of endorphins. Military service, community theater, even college. You can see how you could apply the same model of space 
to any of the myriad communities that people build their identities around. I've even found myself thinking about the post-trail blues in relation to the pandemic. I remember telling my partner way back in March of 2020, as we were listening to a dire radio story about the first lockdown, it felt like we were grieving for life as we knew it. It's like one day there was a version of the world that I understood, and the next day that version of the world was gone. And so much has changed, I found myself asking sometimes, who was I before the pandemic? Who am I now? And how do I get back to being who I was? The answer is, I think, maybe obvious. You can't. There is no going back. I'm not going to say it didn't affect me. I just took it in strides going through it. For General Hendricks, moving forward has meant shifting which reality is the one he chooses to acknowledge. I call it the second world because the real world's out there, like having fun, you know, like experiencing the outdoors. Joseph's working as a landscaper in Flagstaff right now, saving for his next adventure, considering living out of a van in order to save on rent. He works to play, and not the other way around. For Pete's sakes, we didn't bathe for like 10 days sometimes. So like, we were all happy and stinky, and we were just, we were were living our best life, you know? I was a kid. I'm still a kid. I'm never growing up. For Shawan Desai, moving forward meant finding purpose in the trail, even when he's not actually hiking on it. After he finished his first thru-hike in 2015, he almost immediately reached out to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. And what started out as a conversation, or better yet, a critique, turned into a midlife career shift. Sounds to me like you had that experience and then turned it into a mission. Yeah, and I I also was driven by frustration. I, I think that on a podcast, it's hard to see what I look like, but, you know, I'm Indian American. I'm the son of immigrants from India, also queer. So that makes me a double minority on the trail. And when I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail, I literally only counted four people of color the entire way that I saw. And I kept a running tally in my trail journal because I was curious, you know, like how many other people of color would I see along the trail? Turns out less than five. Yeah. Shawan believes in the mission of the Appalachian Trail. He believes in the vision Benton Mackay laid out 100 years ago. He also knows there's a long way to go before it's realized. I'm going to be honest, it really angered me because this is ostensibly a public resource. We nicknamed the AT the People's Trail, but it turns out that a very specific type of person was accessing the benefits that you could receive by being out on trail. Mm. So, you know, that frustration translated over into outreach to the Conservancy. But despite all that, Shalin couldn't stop fantasizing about getting back to the world he'd left behind. That's what drove him to hike the other two longest trails in the U.S. Now you've exhausted the three biggies. (laughs) And then you ask yourself the question, what now? (laughs) What now? That's the question Jocelyn asked herself when she completed the AT last October. At that point, I'm like, well, what do I do now? When I met with Jocelyn, it had been less than a month since she'd finished the AT. She hadn't even unpacked her backpack. Her cooking pot still had the crud from her last trailside meal stuck on the inside. She was still deep in the throes of her post-trail blues. But already, a kernel of a plan had started to take shape. And shortly after, she applied for a spring permit to hike another one of the big three, the Pacific Crest Trail which runs from the Canadian border in Washington state 
to the Mexican border in California, just an hour's drive from Tijuana. And I told myself, okay, like if you don't get a permit, it's not meant to be. And then that day came, 30 minutes, I had secured an application and a permit and a start date. It's happening, I'm going on another through hike this year. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, crap, my body, crap, money, crap. I don't know what I'm doing with myself, but it's all gonna work out. <laughs> One of my favorite videos that Jocelyn recorded came towards the end of her journey. She had just crossed over the border into Maine, 1,900 miles of trail at her back, when she came across a bright green caterpillar slowly working its way through the dirt. And from one traveler to another, she gave it a little pep talk. Hey, little guy. One day you're going to wake up and be a beautiful butterfly just like the rest of them. You're a little late, but you're doing a great job. You're so pretty. Get it. If you or someone you know is struggling, reach out to the folks at the Crisis Text Line, a texting service for emotional crisis support. To speak with a trained listener, text HELLO to 741741. It's free, available 24-7, and confidential. Thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you liked it. If you want to see pictures from Jocelyn's thru-hike, we've put a bunch up at OutsideInRadio.org. Jocelyn's also been processing her journey in a blog for the hiking website, The Trek. We will post some links to that, uh, as well as the articles that Dr. Ann Baker wrote on post-trail grief. That'll be on the website and in the show notes. We will also link to Shalin's work, writing and talking about diversity for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. If you've got your own AT story to tell, please send it to us via email and sign up for our free newsletter, which is where you will be likely to see us talking more about the subject in the future. Outside In was produced and reported this week by me, Taylor Quimby, editing by Rebecca Lavoie with help from Justine Paradise, Felix Poon, and Jessica Hunt. This episode was mixed by Taylor Quimby. That is also me. Our theme is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions, River Foxcroft, Dew of Light, Golden Age Radio, Matt Large, and Earl Schaefer. Outside In is supported by listeners like you. There's a link to donate in the show notes. This has been a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Thanks so much. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports, or unwind on a mile-long, pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views. This vacation paradise has it all. Celebration Key, welcoming guests in summer 2025. Carnival, choose fun. Copyright 2024, Carnival Corporation. All rights reserved. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama.